Let me ask you the same thing. How's my sound? Sounds good. I uh, I stepped into my office pretty early this morning, and I'm in California. And man, it's getting cold. I'm like layered up, Jack. Yeah, it's it's starting to get cold in New York too. Yeah, I'm just like New York will not comply. God, I hope you're right. <laughs> oh man, I hope you're right. <laughs> I um. I can't emphasize enough, people. There's three places you don't want your life to get entangled with. Uh, the legal system, the prison system, and the hospital system. At all costs. That's pretty fair, yeah. <laughs> at all costs, don't avoid going to court. Don't get in a fight with your wife. Don't sue your neighbor. At all costs, take care of your health. Um, and that's why we have Chris on this morning. You have to take care of your health. Unless you get hit by a car or shot, like you do not want to be going to the hospital. Really, 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 really need to take care of yourself. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Most of you guys are on that journey. Chris, dude, your name, is that your real name? Chris Master John? That's my real name, yeah. Man, you have good parents. <laughs> well, it came from, uh, actually it was, it was a dude on Ellis Island when my great-grandfather immigrated from Nisiros, a Greek island, and they said, what's your name? And he said, Ioannis Mastroyanis. And they said, <laughs> guy, guy turned to a Greek guy behind him and said, what does that mean? They said, it means John Mastrojohn. And uh, they said, your name is John Mastrojohn now. Uh, was, that an accurate, was that an accurate translation? Yeah, well, actually, I, I'm leaving some details out. So actually, they said it was John Mastrojohn. And then there was an error on my grandfather's birth certificate that said John Mastry John, and then he didn't know about it until he got married. And he looked at it and he was like, why is my name spelled different than my brother's? And he was like, I might as well flip these two letters around. It makes more sense. Just call it Master John. So actually, my Master John is actually the lineage that comes from my grand my grandfather. All his brothers were Mastro John, which is sort of a, it's kind of like a transliteration of it because it, it's Mastro Yanis and Yanis is John. Um, but Master John is sort of a good translation of it, I guess. Uh, oh, in, in shit, since we're here, why? How? How? how what were they a master of in 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 the in the old country? Uh, probably everything. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, Chris, guys, well, I'm seeing the comments pouring. It looks like you guys know who he is. Yes, he's a PhD in nutritional science. What's interesting is, is I dug through his Instagram and I went back all the way to I don't know 2000. 14 to his first post it's crazy how many touch points um you and i have that are very very similar and i had no idea up until one of your more what's happening to kind of your life i don't think you meant to be um an activist but somehow you've been pulled um <laughs> <No>. off of, <laughs> off of never would have predicted that three months ago <laughs> You've been pulled off of your path, um, and, and, and you're still holding on to your path. I mean, and it's it's God, it's it's so crazy relevant because we need people talking about health right now more than ever, um, so oh, they yeah. don't get sucked into the system. But um, you, uh, I, I saw that you know David Asario, or at least you went to his gym, CrossFit South. Uh, Brooklyn. Oh, when I lived in Brooklyn, pretty much the, my whole life in Brooklyn. When I was there, was uh, I was at CrossFit South Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I was in a. I only a, moved out of Brooklyn because I had an indoor mold mold problem. I probably would have, uh, you know, if I, if things had gone a little bit differently, I might still be there. But 
Yeah, that's a crazy story. Although I'm not allowed in gyms in New York at all, but (laughs) right now. Uh, Because of your injection status? Yeah, yeah, I actually have a I actually have a squat rack uh, that I bought right next to me when I found out that the gym down on my block, well, two blocks from me, um, was complying with the mandate. I was like, oh, I know where this is going. So I just bought a squat rack, had half my home gym set up within a few days, uh, which is which is fine because now I I went to my sports medicine doctor. Um, going to some problems with my neck, and he said, "What kind of shoes do you wear when you squat?" And I said, "Well, just recently, I didn't tell him why, but I said just recently I started squatting barefoot." And he was like, "Oh, that's great for proprioception." <laughs> so now I'm like, you know, so now I just now I start I started posting my workouts on Instagram, and it's like now I'm squatting barefoot in my boxers thanks to Blazio. <laughs> Um, how, how, uh, now we're way off subject. How happy are you if you're um, working out barefoot now? I, I almost do all my workouts well, it's, barefoot well, except it's, rope climbs. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that I'm working out barefoot, I, but there's a, there's kind of a justice issue here because 40% of people in my zip code are not allowed in the gym. And even, even people that can afford to just be like, oh, I'll buy a squat rack today. Uh, most people in New York City, even if they can afford it, don't have room for it, right? <laughs> because because pri- space comes at a premium. I just happen to be in a living situation where you know I was doing one thing in my office, and and out of necessity, I could turn it in a slightly different direction because I needed that space otherwise. Um, and so it worked out for me. I'm and so it's I guess it I guess in this case it I'm lucky how adaptable I am, and it pushed me in the direction that is that is actually better for me. Um, I'm also happy that I can do more work now between between sets because I have my office desk right here with my computer, which is way easier to get a lot of things done on than trying to do it on my phone in the gym. So I mean, it's a really honestly, it's a net net win for me. Um, you know, I, I can't fit all the same equipment here, but I got the necessities. Um, you know, but it's I, I'm just I've carved out that privilege for myself and most people in new york don't have it so i i i i first of all before i talk about that word privilege uh did i i fixed your um, name at the bottom is that your instagram account people are asking what's your instagram account is it chris uh, master john it's i'm chris master john on everything so chris okay. master john on instagram and uh you have to type it in now it used to be that if you started typing my name in they would suggest it but I tried to tag they're, you yesterday. They're, they're very close said, to de- you cannot very tag. close to deplatforming me. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to tag you yesterday and Instagram's like, no, no, no. You yeah, can't tag yeah, this yeah. guy. He's- that, all that was very all that was very recent. They started getting very aggressive the day that they came back from the September twenty seventh shutdown. Um they you know, it it you it, they were very sloppy with their trying to suppress free speech now. Now it's they're still sloppy with it, but they're they're much more aggressive with it. So I've been, I've been heavily shadow banned now for, I want to say almost a year. I can't believe that they don't kick Oh yeah. Off. I followed I you cannot. this morning. I, and, and I, and it, it also said, are you sure you want to follow <laughs> this guy? <laughs> whenever, whenever it asks me if I'm sure I want to follow him, I'm like, yeah, that's the sign that I'm following the right person. <laughs> yeah. Someone in the comments said, okay, I just started following him. He's super shadow banned. Um, Wad Zombie, <laughs> do I have his Instagram, right? Is it, is it, I have at Chris master, John, all one word. Yeah. That, 
That's right. Unless there's a spelling error in Master John, then then that's got to be right. Okay. Um, Chris, how old are you? I'm 39. Oh wow, you look young. Um, no, ki- do you have kids? No. It's a trip to me. Um, fuck, podcast is so off course. It's a trip to me <laughs> that right. um that you are so um outspoken and interested um just sort of the injustices going on and 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 all the the confusion going on when. I don't think I would be interested. If I didn't have kids, I'd be like, fuck it. I'd just be like capitalizing on this shit. But I have kids and I can't, and I, and I have to like sort of be looking into the future. What's your motivation? Why do you feel oh, obligated I mean, it, to speak? If you had, you don't live in New York, do you? No, I live in California, but had, I have kids. If you, had, if you had kids, you'd be thinking about two months from now because as soon as we have the next mayor, you're not going to be allowed to go to school unless you got the injection. It, well, it's like that here in California already. Oh, basically. is it? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. We already so, got that. Think about the present. <laughs> yeah, my kids um, will. Ne- my kids will never. I knew my kids wouldn't go to school when um, I the school has a uh, Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ flags out front. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, in, I've spoken about this ad nauseum, but I grew up in San Francisco, loved the gay pride parade, went to it all the time, partied there. Fucking no one knows how to party better. But that flag is not about equality. The American flag is about equality. That flag is about um, whose genitalia you like in relationship to your own genitalia. And I'm totally cool with that. Like, but uh, but that has no place. That's a sex flag. Gay is a reference to um, who you want to mate with. And it has no place in front of a kindergarten or school. None, 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 none. It, it's it, put it in, on your garage. I love it. I'll honk when I go by and go, yeah, I get that <laughs> shit, but not there's, my kid's uh, school. Yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think there's right now it is like peak anger over the school system. So I think it's ripe time for teachers, parents, and kids to leave the school system and, de- and write a declaration of educational independence and say, screw the DOE. We're doing our own thing. And if um, you can afford it, get your kid in Kumon. That's what I'm doing. And the, um, the results are insane. I don't know if you're familiar with Kumon. It's like CrossFit for kids developed by a Japanese man in the uh, fifties out of Japan, 30,000 Kumon centers all over the globe. It's massive. Cool. When I was 15, I I left high school and I went to this school for, it was was a school for uh, legally we're all homeschoolers, but it was these teachers, they followed an unschooling philosophy and they just left. They were Amherst, Massachusetts public high school teachers. They just said, screw this school. We're leaving. And they took 30 of their students with them. And they made their own like voluntary school and and le- made everyone homeschoolers. And then uh, <laughs> so I went there. So I, I know. And I was living in subsidized housing back then. We really couldn't afford anything at that point. And so... I know it doesn't take a whole lot of money and people can leave the school system, do their own thing. So I think it's a good time for that now. Are are your parents still married? My parents were never married. I've never met my father. Oh, wow. Okay. And so your mom was cool with you going, she, she was okay with, um, Oh, my mom found it. Well, my mom wasn't cool with me being in the vice principal's office for most of the day for, uh, I didn't school and I didn't get along very well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> So she was she she was researching trying to figure out what was better for me, but um. So that that I'd like to dig into your history a little bit, but that brings me to the big question. I was afraid to transfer schools in the fifth grade. You weren't afraid to get your PhD. How how does someone have the confidence? Like I see those three letters and I see that pursuit, and I'm like, ah, I'd rather try to get into the NFL. <laughs> and, I'm only, and I'm only five five. How well, I think I had the, a better shot at 
I think I had a much better shot at a PhD than the NFL. Um, how, how does a guy who um, who switches schools at the age of 15, who, who doesn't like school, school doesn't like him, how do you end up with a PhD in nutritional science? Uh with half my brain dragging the other half kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> oh, that makes me um, so happy to hear that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually. So, so like, be, so I homeschooled when I was 15. Then I dropped out of homeschooling legally. Like I literally had to sign the dropout papers uh, so I could take the GED exam so that I could go to college when I was 16. And the only reason that I wanted to go to college so bad was because I knew that this was my chance to beat everyone else to college that I from the high school that I left because I would be two years ahead of them. And it was completely a competition thing. Uh, but there were just t- days where I was, I would just start crying because I was so sad that I had like this schedule where I had to be somewhere at nine 30. And, and that's why I'm self-employed now. I just can't stand anyone telling me when I have to be somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so, and so I, you know, I, I love learning and I love teaching, but, just the the sort of nine to five or worse than that schedule, whether it's school or work, just doesn't. So it just fundamentally doesn't agree with my system. But um, but at that time, I was just highly motivated because I was I was researching in the scientific literature and coming up with my own hypotheses about things. And it was quite clear that no one would ever research my hypotheses if I didn't. And so that was the well, I, I'm sort of skipping ahead to why I went to grad school, but that's the question you asked anyway. So, you know, by that by that time, uh, I was just so highly motivated because I felt like it was my calling to do this science stuff, and that was the only way to do it. Um, it was the only way to do it if I wanted to actually be in research. You know, like anyone can sit on the computer and read PubMed studies and, and write a blog about it, but I was I wanted to research my hypotheses, and I felt like that was my gift to the world. And that's you know, but even when I was writing my dissertation, I, I, you, I was, I was so burned out. I was like, as soon as this is done, I'm going to pump gas for the rest of my life because I was just so sick of that stuff. And a lot of people felt like that. I mean, there were, there were people that, that, uh, you know, who were writing their dissertation at the same time as me who were about to give up, but they were like halfway done. They're like, I'm going to quit right now. And they didn't, they, they got through it. But I think a lot of people just feel like that. They're just, when you're, when you actually devoted, you know, 36 hours per day when there's only 24 for the last four and a half years to something, you're just sick of it. Um, you know, but then you recover and here I am. So, so you basically leveraged your ego as a, as a, as a soft, as a 16 year old boy, you're like, to push myself into college. Yeah. yeah, But what a great way to use the ego, by the way, people that, that is what the ego is for. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, I, I, I don't have any regrets, but you know, if I was advising someone who was who who was pushed into it for the same reason as I was in the same situation, I'd probably tell them to take another year off because I did actually like waste a year because I changed my major so much. What, <laughs> so, what were you? What I were wait, you? Uh, well, what were the majors you went through? That, well, that when brought I you to when I first started, so when I so when I was sixteen, shortly before I started college, I was actually arrested for uh, skateboarding and. I was charged with disorderly person and I defended successfully defended myself and my friend in a criminal trial. <laughs> and Dude, so I, I thought this. I was going to be a is lawyer. Is this New York? No, this was in, <laughs> no, this was in the total opposite of New York in Warren, Massachusetts. 
which which is I grew up in West Brookfield and Warren, Massachusetts, which are so small that they share a high school together. These two these two different towns. Can you give um, me little details of the arrest before, like like were you yeah, were you so, skating on top of dead bodies? Like how do you well, get arrested for? for no, 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 no. I, no, I wasn't even skateboarding. Actually, my friend was. So okay, so in this town in the 1930s, they made a bylaw that said no coasting or sliding on a public way. Now, this was clearly before skateboards were invented and probably referred to like bobsled races or something like that. But they just decided that um, they were going to apply it to skateboarding. And so they started ticketing people for skateboarding in, in, in public. And so downtown Warren, Massachusetts is there's the common and there's a big parking lot that is sparsely used during the day and not used at all during night. And so people would skateboard and just do tricks on the skateboard there. But they widely viewed us as like a public menace because it was like punk rockers and stoners and hippies and white privilege, white privilege, white privilege. And uh, well, uh, there were no people that weren't white in the town. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so, and so these, uh, so they also made it, they made a rule that like you, uh, they put up a sign that said no live parking because they didn't want people sitting uh, hanging out with their car there. And so if, so if, if you had a car parked there and, and someone who is your friend, like sat on your car, you get a $5 ticket for it. And then, uh, the next town over, uh, didn't want our town, like hanging out with their kids. And so they made a law that there was like, if people were in from Warren who were in West Brookfield, no more than three people could be together at once in in public and so they'd ticket kids who were like walking in the common with four people and three of them were from warren so it was just an all-out assault on the countercultural people that hung out downtown warren and there were and so there were parents who were trying to make a skateboard park at the fire department and there was like what there were three selectmen and like one of them was for it and one was against and one was on the fence so the skateboard park kept going up and get taken down and going up and get taken down depending on what happened at the town meeting. And, th- and so they're ticketing us. And so there was a whole, I started handing out movement like leaflets <laughs> about uh, how they were, how they were like trying to persecute us and stuff like that. You and, printed those and, out with your own money. You went to kink FedEx Kinko's or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't out. remember how many I, I, well, Hey, I, when I was in elementary school, I actually started a newspaper, but anyway, so, wow. so, so, so anyway, so me, me and my friend are are downtown. It's my skateboard, and it's at night, and um and the cops are there. There's a cop from Warren and West Brookfield, and they're just in the parking lot hanging out. And so my friend decides that because the cops are there, and because they're using this ridiculous law against bobsledding from the 1930s to ticket skateboarders, that he's going to start flamboyantly skateboarding in circles in front of the cops. <laughs> and so he takes my skateboard, he starts skateboarding in circles, and so the. The cop starts driving towards him, almost hits him, gets real mad, gets out and starts talking to him. And he's like over there. And so I, um, after a while, I'm like, what's going on over there? So I go over and I ask for my skateboard back and he tells me I'm, I'm going to have to get it back the next day or something. And, uh, and so anyway, long story short, I went to the police department and asked for a receipt for my skateboard and they told me that uh, they couldn't give me a receipt. I'd have to get it the next day. And I said, then what's the point of getting the receipt if I don't have any proof that you have my skateboard now? And so they uh, they called the, the police and said that I was being disorderly. And then the cop stormed in and said, 
I'm sick of your antics, Master John. You're going to get out of here right now. And so I, I walked out the door and I, I started mumbling, like kind of whispering, but loudly. I was like, all right, another victory for the fascists. And then a minute later, I hear the jung- jingling of keys and cuffs up against the wall. And so they, so they, then they arrested us. And in, in Warren, they don't, they don't have a holding cell in Warren, Massachusetts. So I was handcuffed to like a radiator pipe behind a bench and they didn't want us in the same room. So my friend was arrested. They put him in the deputy's office chair and then handcuffed him around (laughs) like one of the columns. And then just, and then he, out of nowhere, he comes in and he's like, you got, he takes off my shoes. He's like, you got drugs in your master John. And I was like, I don't do drugs officer. And so anyway, just to, just to give me an F you, he cut, he comes in. He's like, he gives me a written receipt for my skateboard <laughs> while I'm handcuffed there. He's like, here's your receipt. So anyway, um, we got charged with disorderly person. And I, I, uh, actually, actually the place that I was homeschooling at, at this school, they hooked me up with some lawyers who gave me a pro bono appointment about how to research Massachusetts disorderly person law to defend myself in court. And, um, and then, yeah, and I did that and we won. So, dude, that is awesome. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know this isn't the point of the subject and I don't mean to bring my fight into your fight, but just so you, people know, as a child, I was stopped by the cops hundreds of times. I've had very similar things happen to me. Um, this is a town with all white boys. This is like, do you guys understand? Do you guys do you guys see the picture here? You understand? Anytime someone brings color or race into it, it, it you're fucking out of your mind. Sixteen to fucking thirty-five year old boys are fucking. We 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 fool around a lot. We get in places that push up against the cops, and we're always getting arrested and being handcuffed to radiators, and 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 and, and it makes our life interesting. But please, please, that 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 is what it. That's what it's like being a boy. It has nothing to do with being white or black or brown or any of that shit. Stop, stop with that shit. Tens of thousands of kids of all colors. That's what that story has happened to. Okay. So you, you, you vent, so you eventually go in, you get your PhD in nutritional science. And then this part, this transition um, makes me curious too. And I get this off of your website. At some point you break away from the, from academics, you realize academics aren't for you. What did you see? You you alluded to the fact that maybe it was the hours they were asking you to keep and you didn't want to do the nine to five thing. But I'm guessing you saw something in academia. You're like, this is bullshit. I'm going out on my own. Did you see something? Was um, there an incident? I mean, I, I think I know. I think I probably know where you're going with this based on the other stuff that you said. Uh, so I saw some stuff, but. I it uh I think what you're talking about is not was just that it's a sh- of, it was a side issue for me it, w- it wasn't why I left the 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 things that really motivated me to leave were um so first of all I so first of all overlapping with this I sort of started I started my own podcast and I kind of went was going in a business direction um and one of the things was like I was just thinking of so to me like the the big fight for me inside academia was with the bureaucracy. So CUNY City University of New York is is shockingly 
bureaucratic compared to any other, you know, I, I was, I came from, I did my postdoc at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I did my PhD at University of Connecticut. So I know a little bit of something about universities and CUNY is a whole different universe in terms of how bureaucratic it is. Like I wanted to use a, a certain software for testing. It took me like a year and a half to implement it because it had to go into so many different signatures to get on it and, and all kinds of bizarre stuff. Like I should have been able to just do it. Um, and so I was, I was studying how to be like an executive of a business. And so I'm thinking about all, I'm thinking about how do I remove the bottlenecks in my, in my business. And so I was very influenced by Tim Ferriss's four hour work week at that time. And, um, and so I, I had actually, I had actually, I didn't have money for a teaching assistant. So I actually hired my mom for $15 an hour to be my virtual teaching assistant. And so I, at some point, just to free up more time, I was just having like tests get scanned and go through a copy machine all, uh, all at once and then get basically get sent to my mom as digital PDFs who would then distribute them into the students in Google, shared Google Drive folders and put them into a spreadsheet and stuff like that. And so at one point I started thinking like, why am I putting so much effort into building an infrastructure to mm. surround and try to cannibalize the, you know, my job is my main bottleneck. And I, I also, another thing that was influencing me was my, my, uh, my grandparents and my mom had to move out of the house that I had to live in. So I had to do a lot of cleaning up and I was, you know, I had to clean up all the stuff from my childhood. And I realized that I started two businesses when I was in elementary school. And, uh, it, I think, and I realized I was just unhappy because I, that's a big part of who I am is just the core drive to be, you know, completely autonomous and in control of, of what I'm doing and, and running my own business is a, is a much better way to, to execute that part of who I am. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, I think where, where you're going, I think like, I, I do remember, um, I was witness to some leaking out for, of the sociology department of some of the safe space stuff. And well, I wasn't even talking about that, to be honest, oh. but specifically I was talking about um, just more just that, that academic science is just horseshit. It's fucking lies. It's basically peer review. It's the same shit that got the Jews killed in Germany. It's the same shit that causes witch hunts. It's like, hey, if we can get. Well, I, th I think, PhD yeah, I think you're I think you're overgeneralizing there. I mean, OK, good. Peer reviewed, peer reviewed science can be horseshit or, or can be good. And right. And anything right. In between. But, so sorry. Let me be clear um, that. uh to use that as the as the gold standard as something that makes something real like basically like like the situation we're in now with medicine that some like if we have 20 doctors saying yes you should be doing this and that's the way that people that people use that as i guess the gold standard or something official instead of just maybe using common sense yeah, even, so even how, like my, how type 2 diabetes is treated in this country right yeah my my view on this is, is i guess is a little bit um more nuanced so i think so I, I view evidence-based medicine as um, I think I, I basically agree with the pyramid of evidence-based medicine in terms of what gives you the strongest uh, confidence in cause and effect principles. So I agree, for example, that systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials are the best evidence of the cause and effect nature of a treatment. Um, I also agree with John Ioannidis that evidence-based medicine has been hijacked. 
And so I, you know, I agree that it is, it is used in a way, you know, one of the, one of the things that people conflate is uh, the basis for action with the basis for confidence in truth. And so on an objective level, we should be able to agree that in a certain defined context reflected by randomized controlled trials, that large randomized controlled trials and large numbers of them systematically reviewed and pooled are giving us the best understanding of whether this drug does or does not do this thing. Uh, but that's totally different from saying, what is, you know, what, what do I need to make to act on something for myself? And that includes subjective values that no one else can tell you. And your you have, you have complete right to the values to say, fuck evidence-based medicine. I don't want to follow it. And if that's what you believe, then you have the right to uh, you have the right to those values, and you also have the right to to the values of saying, "Look, there may not be a randomized controlled trial uh, of you know using um, topical zinc for this skin condition, but it seemed like it worked to me, so I'm going to keep doing it." Right? Um, you know, so I, I don't I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. I don't think fair. Yeah. Yeah. Very fair. And, and, and uh, two things I want to bring up uh, how you said John Ionati's name. That's the that's the Greek man. And you saying it right. Will you say that one more time? Are you? Saying oh, it? so I mean, I don't know how he pronounces it, but it, the Greek in me makes it look like it's Ioannidis. Uh, Ioannidis. Yeah. Um, are, are you a big fan of his? Uh, I like him. I don't I don't have time to follow everything that he does. Um, but I, you know, I'm a fan. I follow. Yeah, he's got he's got great. It seems like he has great morals, ethics, and integrity, and he, and he's not willing. He, and he's and he's willing to stand out. Oh, he's definitely willing to stand out. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and and he's kind of gone into high. Well, the media's kind of hit him in the last year or two, right? I mean, you just don't hear. Yeah, from him I was, I was, I was talking to someone yesterday who was asking me when, when, what was the transition when I started speaking out about this stuff, and I, uh -huh. and I said, well, I was basically just doing the whole thing, same thing the whole time, and at some point, the mainstream narrative turned into extreme bullying, and then all of a sudden, I became the one speaking out. I think right. that's exactly what happened to him. It happened to him a bit earlier, but he was literally just doing the same thing he always did, you know, but pre-COVID. You he could come out and say whatever that paper was, eighty percent or ninety percent of all research findings are false or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all he's doing is saying not, it continues to be the case as it always was that ninety percent of what they say about COVID is false. And uh, you know, now he's not allowed to say that anymore. So now it looks like he's speaking out or whatever, but he's just doing what he was doing before. Uh, for people who don't know, I, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, he's a he's a Stanford professor. I think he might be the most cited living scientist alive. Uh, he uh, he might be, and um, and he has some he has some very interesting um, rules about where he will speak. I don't think he will speak at any organization. He will not accept payment to speak anywhere, and he will not speak at any for profit organization. I think so. He has these really firm. Um, firm uh guidelines someone in the comments told me i need to chill out chill out what do you mean we're, we're just getting started just getting started i need to Where say some comments stuff. oh uh, I, I had it on private chat instead of comments i see the comments now uh we need i need to uh get wild so chris can put me in my place that's that's the whole thing 
if I, if you guys always complain that I only have people who are on the same page as me and I get a, I get a guy pushing back and I need to chill out. Come on. <laughs> so, um, so when you go into the um, nutritional sciences, is, is your interest, is, is something at that point um, wrong with you and you want to fix yourself? Is that why you chose, how did you choose the nutritional sciences? Yeah, it, it, it goes, that goes back to, I went vegan and veganism and my body and brain didn't play nice and uh, just sort of wrecked my health. And then I found Weston A. Price, who Weston A. Price was a dental researcher turned pioneer in nutritional anthropology, who in the 1930s traveled the world looking at uh, hunter-gatherers and other non-modernized peoples and documented the nutritional transition from their traditional diets into the, what he called the displacing foods of modern commerce, white flour, white sugar, syrups, canned goods, vegetable oils, and documented how people were, because he was a dental researcher, he focused on their teeth, but he also talked to doctors who served those people. And you, so he developed real strong core evidence for, for dental effects and then also peripheral evidence for cancer and other degenerative diseases. And the basic thesis of his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, was that uh, as people went, you know, a combination of necessity and uh, accumulated wisdom had kept people eating foods that nourished their bodies. And when they transitioned to the displacing foods of modern commerce, basically physical that's why it's called nutrition, physical degeneration. Physical degeneration was the consequence of the displacing foods of modern commerce. Um, and at that time, my teeth were falling apart. And so I got I was very interested in this work. And one thing that I realized was that the traditional diets didn't look anything like mine. So they emphasized, especially um, depending on where they were, they didn't they didn't all emphasize the same thing, but they all emphasized at least one category of fat soluble, rich uh, animal foods. He broke down the four categories as uh, full fat dairy, the animal life of the sea, so fish and shellfish. Um, third one being egg yolks and organ meats, and the fourth being uh, small frogs and insects, which are eaten whole and include, you know, skeletons and and org organs and so on. And so I thought, you know, first of all, my vegan diet doesn't look anything like this. And then second of all, even when I was an omnivore, I wasn't eating a very nutrient dense diet. So I kind of rearranged my diet and uh, revolutionized my health. The, you know, the big turning point was I, my mental health had just gone way down the tubes. I, I had anxiety problems from when I was a teenager, but at that point, my anxiety problems aggravated to the point where I was probably borderline psychotic. There were times where I couldn't eat anything because I thought it was all drugged or poisoned. And, you know, I, I remember one time inspecting a package of a uh, veggie burger for like 20 minutes, trying to look for a hole in it. And then I probably made the hole myself. And then I was like, oh, this is tampered with it. And then I, I didn't know if I made it or not. And so I was just so angry at myself that I couldn't eat it, that I threw it across the room in anger and then went into my bedroom and cried that I, that I couldn't eat anything. And I was so hungry. Um, and so was that the turning point? No. No, that's an example of that's an example of before the turning point. So the turning point was I was an undergrad and I was working in the dining hall uh, and I was a dishwasher. And so I'm putting out clean dishes and I look at this guy and he picks up half the plates and he takes one from the middle. I looked at him and as he was walking away, I thought, that guy's really weird. Why didn't he take the one on top? 
And then a minute later, I'm just walking away. And then I'm like, wait a second. I, then I remembered back that I not only did I do that every time that I took a plate, but that was literally the least neurotic out of anything, <laughs> anything I did around my food two months before that. Um, and you know, I used to spend 20 minutes looking for a glass that was clean enough in the same dining hall where I was a dishwasher. And, um, and so at that point, I, I realized that not only did I not have those problems anymore, but they were so foreign to me that I was making fun of this guy inside my head. Wow. <laughs> and, and at that point, I realized that I was like a different person. Um, wow. That was a turning point. Um, do you eat any frogs or insects? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever had frogs. I might've had frogs legs at a restaurant or something like that. And I might've, uh, I know I've eaten, I mean, I've eaten exo bars in the past. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've eaten. Those are I'm made sure from I've, like crickets and shit. Those are made from crickets. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever eaten like a chocolate covered grasshopper or, and I don't like eat raw insects off the ground or anything like that. Um, but I do, I do, I have eaten a lot of organ meats for sure. Do, do, uh, this is usually from large animals, but this is off subject a little bit. But um, uh, there was a story uh, maybe a year ago of someone in Hawaii who was with some friends and was joking around and put a slug in their mouth, and I think they died. Oh yeah, did, did you know what I'm referencing? Well, or it was a snake? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, oh. Um, but. So I, I don't think it's a good idea for city dwellers to like go out and forage without any knowledge. <laughs> um, don't grab a, a rat from the subway and just start eating them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not only I mean, not only is our environment quite a bit different, but also we're very divorced from the traditional knowledge. So if you're going to go out and learn from someone who knows their own environment very well, who wants to teach you to forage, go go ahead and do it. But I'm not going to be the I'm not going to be the first one going rat hunting on the subway for lunch. <laughs> are are you friends with Tyler Fisher? Uh funny you ask. Uh I wouldn't say I'm friends with him, but I did meet Tyler Fisher at the Brooklyn Comedy Club and up on my Instagram I got a picture of me and some friends with him. Yeah, it, it and I saw He's that. He's funny what, as all hell. Yeah, what, you know <laughs> he you was cuz he was on my podcast. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and that was cool. another thing. I was like, "Holy cow, he knows Tyler." Um, yeah, I don't know if you should help him because I don't want you to like whatever his pathology is. I don't want you to um, break him and then him not be funny anymore. But a lot of these <laughs> things that you're describing, these behaviors. Uh -huh. I mean, he, I don't know if you've, you've talked to him much besides just meeting him there. Um, he's I didn't going talk to him about his health. He's well. He's just going through some shit. He's going through some heavy psychological shit, right? He oh. he. I think he's. Um, maybe a little less prepared than, than me, but he's, he's a hardcore liberal. He's got the, basically he was raised with the, you know, in the victocracy and the victocracy, the victim mindset, and he's going through the transition and the transition for some people can be really hard, especially if you don't have a lot of support, right? It's like dropping acid. I couldn't, whole, I couldn't tell what his politics were from his comedy show. Yeah. He's really, um, he's, he's, um, that at least means someone's not an authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, it's it's happening to a lot of people on the left, right? Like, like everything's fine, peace and hunky dory, God bless BLM, all people, kumbaya, blah blah blah, and then all of a sudden, like as they keep oh, but it's more, happening to BLM too. Yeah, right, right. And I saw your post on that. <laughs> but as they push further and further, they're like, wait a minute, 
I have to take this shot. I have to take this. Wait, you want to put yeah. the injection in my kids? Well, and now, it's, like, it's you also, want, you want to track it my money? Also, and, it should also be made clear that Black Lives Matter Greater New York was never part of Black Lives Matter Global Network, never received any Soros funding, and has never played nice with the Black Lives Matter Global Network. Oh, um, that's good to that's hear. That's not to say that you would agree with right. the Newsom's on much, but <laughs> actually, you probably would agree with them on 50% of what they say or something like that. And none of the stuff on race, but um, yeah. my, my stance on that basically is this, it, it, it's, it's not me. It's mother Teresa. It's, you know, Jimmy Carter shit. It's um, if, if, if you fight racism with racism, the winner will be racist. You send boys away um, to a foreign country to kill people and they're going to come back killers. You just have to be aware of what we're doing. You, you have, you believe in the death penalty. The person who flicks the switch is now a killer, but you've killed a killer. And it's like, there just should be honest discussion around that. So fighting racism with racism is kind of like where, you know, and I'm, I'm a, I'm Armenian and my kids are Jews. And so I got these Armenian Jews. And so I got this whole, you know, I have this bias towards uh, persecution. Do you know any Armenians? Uh, I know. I mean, I casually, I casually casually know (laughs) some Armenians, uh, you know, I mean, partly I, I was raised as an Orthodox Christian. A lot of, uh, there's a subsection of Armenians who are Armenian Orthodox Christians. So I know kind of through that. I think every BLM chapter has an Armenian lawyer and every, every good Greek boy <laughs> should have a good Armenian friend. You know that <laughs> we share, share some similar um, histories. Mm. Um, t- so, so you get into the nutritional sciences and, and, and when you, when you, when you, when you want to um, get out of the academia and you want to start your own, and I highly recommend people go to your website, it's uh, chrismasterjohnphd.com. You're basically starting your own, would it be wrong to say school? I mean, you could call it a school. I guess what I do is educate people. Um, is, is the cornerstone of, of your work the, the Vitamins 101? I mean, the cornerstone of my expertise is in vitamins and minerals. And so Vitamins and Minerals 101 is a project that started as a free class and is turning into a book. And that's it's it's basically serving to try to to bridge the people who don't have any necessarily have any science background and who have some interest in health and who might become the person who is interested enough in nutrition to know what each vitamin and mineral does. It's, it's sort of meant to be the bridge from that person into the world of they found the value of knowing what each vitamin and mineral does. <laughs> um, and it, it, in the course of doing so, it's actually extremely useful to people who are health professionals and who do have a science background, even though it's designed to 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 be the bridge of the people who don't have that background into the nutrition community basically my my thing is and it might be, and I'm not, I'm not saying well I guess I am saying it's right but even if it's wrong I'm okay with it my thing is that I push on everyone around me my kids my family my all my social media all my crossfitting friends is hey there's two there's two things you have to do you have to stop eating foods with added sugar and you have to stop eating refined carbohydrates and i was basically on that 15 year journey after i heard that from greg glassman to do that and then i also came across um paul saladino who's also another mutual contact of ours who's been on this podcast a couple times um that um i use the carnivore diet to go into ketosis 
at least that's what I think that's what they call it. And then from there, I just stopped craving sugar and I slowly started adding vegetables back into my life. And that's kind of where I am today. I basically just eat um, the, the, the prescription of food that um, Greg Glassman gave for CrossFitters. And it's, and it's with sort of a hybrid of Paul Saladino, although I really like vegetables. I don't, I don't run from them like um, so much he does. Mm. Um, and they sit well with me, but I use that to, um, so my point with that I'm headed here is and to you to use a, a metaphor that I use often, which I hope doesn't uh, isn't too crass for you. If there is no cure for pregnancy, the the basically what you have to do is you have to just not. Yeah, sit. there is. <laughs> you you have to. And not like it. But. <laughs> well, good point. Um, the the thing is is that you just have to not. Um, the penis cannot be inside the vagina upon ejaculation, and 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 if you don't do that, That's then a good you rule. You you won't get, you won't get pregnant. Don't sit on the um, hard penis, and. Uh, I feel that way about health. It's not about adding things for, for 90. You know, there are some exceptions to that. Of course. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, to, to the penis metaphor you're talking about or to the, um, to not, I mean, you can pull out and you can be surprised. Right. Right. Of course. Yes. Yes. There's always, um, don't ruin my story, please. Um, <laughs> so I, my thing is, is that so many people like, they, they don't need to worry about adding things. They don't need, they don't, they, they, what they need to do is just stop putting poison into their bodies. What you have to do is you have to stop um, uh, waking up every morning and having a Frappuccino and a croissant and you'll be at the, you'll be at the 90 yard line. How does that? And I feel like a lot of people just want to add stuff. So when I see, I see, and I obviously see your body. I see that you work out. I see that you're healthy. I see that, you know, you, and what's interesting, you went through a similar journey as Paul Saladino. You had eczema, right? Is that one of the yeah, journeys you talked about? I, I have had a problem with eczema. Yeah. And, and, you know, did you know he did also? I don't know if I knew that. Okay. Yeah. Pretty serious. And that was kind of, I think that was the catalyst for sort of his journey. He like, he's like, I'm curing this eczema yeah, shit. Interesting. Um, where, where I love I love your body of work and it's the vitamins are super important but but where is it where you have a person who's 100 pounds overweight and they come across your work and they're like hey oh yeah shit I need to eat some more vitamin A and like are you like no man like you, you don't need to add so, something to yeah, the I mean, mix well I mean my, my my work really isn't for the person whose limiting factor at this moment is they need to lose 100 pounds um you know, I, I'm not going to hesitate to inform someone that that might be the thing that they should do if that's the case, but that's not why I'm, that's not the person I'm writing a book for. Okay. Um, but I don't, uh, so, I mean, so first of all, in my, in the introduction for my book, which is not released yet, you can pre-order it, but I don't have the release date yet. So it's, it's up to you. <laughs> um, do it, but, people pre-order but, the book. It's but, a contribution. Um, but, you know, I have a section in the introduction called why just eat real food isn't enough. And and I basically it basically makes the case why, you know, all these things are are quite good. And so, you know, if but they're not but they're not they don't bring you to complete nutritional adequacy. And, um, you know, there are there is evidence of uh, of uh, nutritional deficiencies from archaeological evidence going back millions of years and there, uh, and you know, one of the lessons of Weston Price's work, where he studied a lot of different hunter-gatherer tribes in depth, 
was that they didn't just they weren't just forced into eating good food because they didn't have modern foods that helped but they also had a cumulative body of wisdom about what to eat and they didn't um they didn't necess- they didn't know what all the vitamins and minerals were because they didn't have that science but they knew for example that uh, you could go blind if you didn't eat liver and that if you were going blind from not eating liver, the best thing you could do is eat an eyeball. Um, and you know, they had, var- they had various, very is that true. Is that true? What you just said? Oh, because of the vitamin A. Yeah. Wow. And so they, they, you know, they had very specific cause and effect knowledge about specific foods and specific nutritional deficiency diseases that may as well have been knowledge of the vitamins and minerals. They just didn't know what the microscopic components of those foods were, but they knew that certain specific foods that they had to go out of their way to get. And these are people, you know, one of the things that he documented also was their strength of character and the sheer willpower that they had to walk two miles to get, you know, something that was a source of iodine when they had plenty of calories at home uh, because they knew that it prevented big neck. Um, which is, you know, which was what they called goiter, what we call goiter. Um, so they had, they had very extensive knowledge of, uh, nutritional deficiencies in the foods that prevented them, just not the actual vitamins and minerals that were in those foods that, that on a microscopic molecular level, uh, were responsible for why that food cured that disease, but they knew about the food disease relationship and they had this body of knowledge, you know, how'd they get it? Uh, you know, I do know some people who think that spirits gave it to them through their shamans, but I, my, my theory is that it was accumulated from trial and error. Um, why would they bother knowing? So when, when Weston Price visited the natives of the Arctic, he asked them if they ever got scurvy and they were like, scurvy is a white man's disease. And he said, well, why doesn't the Indian get scurvy? And they said, "Oh well, when the moose is in uh, when the moose is in mating season, we uh, their necks get real big, so we we know that they're in mating season. We kill the moose and we cut out this little ball of fat from above their kidneys, and we cut it into little pieces, and we give a piece to every big Indian and every little Indian in the tribe. And that's why we don't get scurvy. And the white man gets scurvy because they don't they don't want to ask us how we prevent it." <laughs> Um, and so, and what and part so of the what, moose is that? That's full, full of vitamin C. That's the adrenal gland. Uh, and the, the adrenal gland is named the adrenal gland because it is on top of renal, the kidneys. And so to them, it was a little ball of fat on oh. top of the kidney. Uh, but it's the adrenal gland. It's the richest source of vitamin C. And, uh, it appears that the, I guess the moose would develop, uh, sort of, transient hyperthyroidism that would look kind of like goiter but it would be because they're trying to pump up their thyroid hormones to get their reproductive hormones going and and presumably at that time there's an enrichment in the vitamin c content of the adrenal gland at least that's what they knew about but how would they have all this knowledge about it if they didn't get scurvy and so i this makes me extremely skeptical of all these claims in the carnivore community that all you need to do is eat meat and as long as it's fresh you're not going to get scurvy then how the hell did these people in the in the Arctic of Canada, how on earth did they have this extensive body of knowledge 
of what specific part of the moose they had to eat in order to not get scurvy. Wait, when all they were eating the is meat. But but isn't but isn't that meat? I don't see. I yes, don't see. yes, but there is a contradiction here. The, it's not contradicting the idea that you can you cannot get scurvy on a carnivore diet. It's contradicting the idea that all you need to do is eat fresh muscle meat on a carnivore diet to not get okay, scurvy. Okay, specifically for okay. So basically, if I just eat hamburger meat, I'm you can still get scurvy. You got it's back to the nose to yeah, tail. Yeah, and the and, and these about. these are these are the people that were were quasi carnivore from birth, basically because they weren't carnivore, but they were you know as close as you can naturally get to carnivore. But they were carnivore, but they were that close to carnivore from birth through their whole lives. And so they didn't have a history of high vitamin C intake and, and other things that would predispose them to take longer to develop scurvy. But anyway, the point is the only way they have all this knowledge is because they suffered through all these deficiencies. And so that, that, you know, that combined with archeological evidence that there were humans millions of years ago, who got nutritional deficiencies I, you know, I think the rate of nutritional deficiencies is lower when people are just eating real food, um, but it's but it's not it's not zero, and you also have to understand nutrition. Um, you used in some of your older videos, you supported um, or you had a sponsor called Ancestral Blends, and I take that stuff, and then I've been taking that stuff for I don't know about since I since I found Paul, I've been messing with the Heart and Soil and the Ancestral Blends. And I was basically um, when I was on the carnivore after like three or four months, I want to say something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. I was getting my hands and feet were getting cold. There was some weird shit going on with my heart. And so I started taking those pills. And like I feel like within hours, I got some reprieve from that. And then eventually I started adding a little a little bit of. uh, Well, I started eating just a shit ton of more vegetables. I would have a little bit of honey once in a while and everything just went back to normal. But. Um, what I what do you think about desecrated? Um, are, are they still a sponsor of yours? Ancestral. Uh, um, I, I and that guy's I exploded still, um, on the scene. Are you seeing him yeah, on Instagram I, now? He's I'm an affiliate of I'm a I'm an affiliate of theirs, but okay. I am I am not using any podcast sponsorships at the moment. Um, okay. Yeah. And and you see, have you met Brian like in person? I haven't met him in person. No. Okay, just talk to him. He on looks the phone. real jacked on the on the on his picture. So, <laughs> I, I mean, um, are you I seeing might him, talk on to him on the phone? I, I, uh, I don't I don't know if I follow him on Instagram. I mean, to be honest, I very rarely even look through my Instagram feed because it takes me so long just to look at my Instagram comments. That yeah, I'm like done with Instagram when I'm not. Um, I don't think I don't think I even knew he was on Instagram. To be honest, he's uh, exploded. He's handle? put on like a. It's a. I think it's Liver King. He's put on basically like over like I want to say a hundred thousand, maybe now two hundred thousand followers, just like overnight. He's everywhere. All the chat rooms, all the muscle. Oh, guys. he's got two hundred twenty-eight thousand. Yeah, I think last time he's, I looked, a he's day doing ago good. Was, he's doing good, not getting shadow banned because it, it didn't. It didn't prompt me to say, "Are you sure you want to follow him?" <laughs> he, he's he's staying on subject. He's yeah. basically like, hey, just eat liver, just eat liver, just eat liver. I mean, that's his basic. His yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to shout out Benham for that yet. Um, why aren't you? T- so do you think I always trip that I take all those pills, the, the desecrated meat. Do, do you think that the nutrition, the nutrients are still in there from the organs? Um, well, I actually I also take it's uh, the desiccated 
liver. Sorry, desiccated. What did I say? Desecrated? <laughs> you said, yeah, you said desecrated. That's thank you. Somewhat different meaning. That's why um, you're a PhD. <laughs> so, um, desiccated livers is a dried out liver. So I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't studied it enough to like, it would be great to, to sort of do a lab analysis of it. Um, but my guess is that there are some things that are lost, but, but most of it's not. I mean, generally speaking, drying something out is not, is not a harsh way to lose nutrients. It's generally protective. Um, you know, but you're probably losing some material somewhere. Uh, you might be concentrated, concentrating other things. Um, so I, I would be, as long as the desiccation process is not high heat, I would be quite surprised if you were losing much. And also liver is surprisingly stable. It's a surprisingly stable environment for nutrients that are otherwise not stable. So for example, uh, folate is very unstable to cooking and to freezing over time, but it's stable in liver. So it's in conditions where folate and vegetables would just disappear, it stays stable in liver. And I think that's because the liver does so much as the metabolic hub of the body that a lot of the things that are needed to stabilize and recycle nutrients are present there that just create a protective environment. Let, let me try to throw a, a contradiction in there. I think it was your Instagram that I was looking at and someone was asking you about putting and, and I'm I, there's a very good chance I'm not remembering this correctly. Um, someone was talking about putting liver in a Vita mixer. And I thought you respond. I'd be careful of that. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's... So why? So that, okay. So if you're saying it's stable and you can dry it out, I mean, that shit's like powder. Why, why, why do you have an issue with the Vitamix? Well, so it's, it's, I guess if anything's going to be stable to the Vitamix, it's probably the liver. Um, but the, the problem with the Vitamix, the problem with the Vitamix that, that, has a, a potential stability compared to a desiccation process is the rapid movement of air into the product. So what I, what I do know as an example is that blending is blending can destroy the glutamyl cysteine bonds found in whey proteins that boost glutathione status. Um, and so I'm. I would just. I'd be a little more careful with it. I don't know. I haven't seen any data on blending it. Um, so wait a second. Now you've opened up another window. Yeah. Blending whey protein is not a good idea either. Did I hear that? I would. Right? I wouldn't put whey protein in a blender. No. So all those people who make shakes like is is that why? Is, is, how about shaking? I would shake. I would shake it. Wow. Yep. Holy shit. But I, I. I. But I mix it with a spoon. I mean, I'm very much a, a functional. Uh, I don't try to make my shakes like taste good. Or anything. I just throw, throw it in the thing, mix it up. Are, are are you um are you working out every day? No, I I lift weights three times a week. And and, and do you sweat every day? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sweating a little bit right now. Uh, cause I don't have the AC on, but I, you, if you're asking me if I do high intensity work every day, uh, no, I'll probably try to work more high, more high intensity work in, but, um, I'm kind of in a, I'm kind of in a, re- a serious recovery of loss of health from last year. So I actually, I was, I was actually, I gained so much COVID weight that I was literally obese for one day in 2020. <laughs> and so, um, 
And so I, I've been I've been focusing on um, I've kind of just finished losing all my COVID weight, and so I've been now right now I'm just focusing. Uh, my workout has been largely designed to lose that weight without losing muscle mass and uh, get my get my hormones back in balance. Um, and so r- right now, you know, part of the issue is that I, just my workload is so high that it's it's real easy for me to get. 15 to 20,000 steps every day because there's a lot of work I can do on a treadmill, but there's not a lot of work I can do where I'm also doing, uh, you know, high intensity stuff. But you're right. You're calling me out on a no, 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 I'm not. Flaw in my my program. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. not. Hey, hey, listen, if I I do think that if you could get 10 minutes on the assault bike every day, it would be like, I mean, that, that that's like the bare minimum. I, do. I don't I have an like assault to, bike, but I could do I just like like jumping to, jacks or you've got room in those 322 square feet of palatial <laughs> NYC studio for an assault bike. Oh, I'm not in a studio. <laughs> yeah. Where, where you're not in a studio. Where, where are you? I have a two bedroom and this bedroom is my office. Dang, well, life so this is, half of it is my office. That half of it is my gym. <laughs> life is good. Are, do you think you'll ever move out of New York? I want to finish my book before I even think about moving and then I'll reevaluate the state of the city. So it's 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 given me a lot of hope for the city to find that there are other people that think this is all BS. Yeah. But um but we'll see what we impact. Yesterday was I I was recording podcast interviews yesterday and so I couldn't make it to the to the protest yesterday, but the the police department and the fire department um marched with the other city workers who showed up marched from the fire department headquarters and it looked like there might have been tens of th- there was definitely thousands of people but some people are saying it was 20,000 i mean you sh- it's probably lower than that cuz usually the highest estimates aren't correct um but it was it was real big and that day the the, the head of the fire department union said that it's the duty of the firefighters who aren't complying to report to work anyway and ignore the mandate and they don't know what'll happen, but they'll take care of them. <laughs> so, uh, that I think that is a big deal because generally the heads of unions have not at all been with the rank and file on this. They've been, you know, the head, the, the teacher, the head of the teacher's union was just a total scumbag to them. Um, and so I don't know if, I don't know if it's, I think that it's you know because it was so clear that there was so much pushback, um, and I know like fi- when we marched through the street, the the best response on the the most consistent response on the street is from police, firefighters, and truckers, um, truck drivers, uh, and so I think that crowd is like you know, now that they're all getting mandated, I think they're they're joining in on the fight, and I, I who knows what would happen in the next year, but. I'll I'll decide whether I'm going to stay here or not like next spring. Yeah, people are always asking me if I'm going to leave California. My life is so good here, but but this but the situation for so many people is bad. The reason why I stand up is for two reasons. One, I have kids, but I also feel that um an obligation that since I'm not um beholden to the man because I am independently wealthy because I did work so hard already and I can rest a little bit that I have to speak up for those people who are being forced to do it. Um, that's exact. That's exactly how I feel. And I, I mean, I, I'm not wealthy, but I'm, but I'm uh, okay. You know, right, and, right. And, well, you have a business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily say I'm, I'm. Well, I'm probably wealthy compared to anyone who lives like in fucking Mount Vernon, Illinois. But, but you, you have an online business. 
you, you yeah, I'm not like worried this, about my yeah, yeah. My, my ability to live. But, you know, when you're the, your when own I, boss. Yeah, when I built my squat rack next to me, I was like, all right, I'm doing my barefoot boxers workout now. But when I started seeing tens of thousands of people in imminent danger of losing their jobs, that's what pissed me the f off and got me in the street consistently. So I I feel exactly the same way. Uh, you know, my 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 position is. Why should the right to control what goes into my own body be predicated on me having a you know two standard above the deviation two standard deviation above the mean IQ and total uh, total stubbornness and unwillingness to to have a schedule? <laughs> Why are those the two characteristics that justify me having control over my own body? That's that's not the bar. <laughs> Being human should be the bar, you know. Is is there is there any validity in the argument that um, if we don't get the inje- that we have to get the injection to protect the other people to protect the people who are vulnerable? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so um, so the 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 I mean the gist of it is this. So uh, first of all, from the perspective of the mandates, your your question really is is if, if you're talking about filter like having a binary filtering of people who are clean and unclean um the vaccination status gives you no reasonable ability whatsoever to classify people into spreaders and non-spreaders that's complete bs now the people who actually understand the science um who are not many people but the 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 people who do know the data uh who defend the mandates say well, that's not the point of the mandates. The point of the mandates is to make life very inconvenient for people who don't get vaccinated to incentivize them to get vaccinated because it's a probability game. And if you have a higher rate of vaccination overall, you did your duty not be by being clean instead of unclean, but by being a participant in the statistic of a high vaccination rate, which will overall reduce the net probability of transmission. Now, the problem with that is that there's no correlation whatsoever in fact, the correlation is generally positive, but not statistically significant between vaccination rates and caseloads. And people look at that study and say, well, they didn't control for all the confounding factors. Well, the authors aren't anti-vaccination. Well, the authors said the vaccines are still effective. doesn't matter. The point is that at a broad level, the evidence contradicts the fact that you're doing anything to reduce transmission if the places with the highest vaccination rates don't have higher caseloads. Um, it, you, you're not, no one is implementing a mandate with a, compl- a complex, sophisticated, multivariate model that controls for all the confounding factors. They're telling you, you got to upload your vaccination status to a passport app. And that determines whether you have a job and whether you can get into a restaurant, whether you can get into a gym and whether your 13 year old kid can go to the after school dance class. No one's doing a multivariate model. So you're not supposed to use the high, you know, the, the highly sophisticated statistics to try to weed out all the confounding factors. You're just supposed to say at a very broad level, does having this blunt hammer that we're hammering everyone on the head with does it work or not? And it doesn't. Um, you know, mechanistically, I, th- I think what happened and I'm studying this, I'm very immersed in this research right now because I'm working on a review on it with an immunologist. But it looks to me like the vaccines did reduce the transmission of alpha um, the alpha variant, which preceded the Delta variant. And that's what allowed the Delta variant to take over because the vaccines don't protect against the Delta variant at all. And then once you get into sort of 100% of cases or close to it are Delta, 
then the vaccine uh, is doing nothing and positively worse than nothing on its effect within an individual to transmit. But what no one is, what everyone's sort of ignoring is that if the vaccine, even if the vaccine did reduce transmission by 20%, that might be completely more than counteracted by the behavioral effect of the mandates. Because the lesson of the mandate is, so remember pre-COVID, pre-COVID, right? You know, there were the people behind the counter who, if they picked their nose and no one saw it, uh, they're going to wrap up the sandwich for you anyway, because people have different levels of conscientiousness, right? And so you take those people and then you tell them every single day, you got the shot. So you have a magical force field around you that makes you the clean person that can't spread disease while these fuckers that we're keeping out of your, out of your Starbucks are, are the spreaders. And now that we've kept them out, now you're all magical and no one gets disease. You think that person that would have picked their nose without washing their hands before COVID isn't, isn't now going to do it all the time. I mean, so you're within the spread of people. You're basically the conscientious people. You're telling them they can put their guard down and the non-conscientious person, you're basically giving them a license to believe that there's some kind of magical unicorn that can't spread any disease and to just be totally irresponsible. And so, you know, the more responsible people are going to say, well, no, no one would do that. No one's saying that. It doesn't matter. When you institute a public health policy, you're responsible for all blowback that you get, all compliance that you get, all non-compliance that you get. You, When you make policy, you're responsible for all the effects of the policy. You don't get, you don't get to... In, like. No one invades, no one, you don't get to invade Vietnam and be like, well, the war is working. It's just that we didn't plan for them to shoot back, you know, <laughs> it, like shooting them shooting back is, is part of the, it's part of the thing. Right. Right. And so if you institute a mandate and there's, and there are people who don't comply, it is not their fault. They didn't comply. Your policy sucks if it didn't get the thing that if it didn't achieve the goal it was supposed to achieve. Because you have to you have to know that there will be variance, there will be lots of variation in how people respond to your mandate. You're and as a as a public health policy person, whatever whatever that response is is the effect of the policy. Period. End of story. It doesn't matter what your intentions were. Um, and so I I do think and you see this now, right? Like they're canceling Broadway shows because the breakthrough infection rate is too high. I mean. Is it a misnomer to use the word breakthrough? How can something uh, that they've I mean, what's, never what's the what's the what's the argument for that? They've never professed that this thing would stop. Um, uh, they they never professed that this thing would stop SARS-CoV-2. The WHO, Fauci, all these these people they they always they always knew that um, SARS that it would only mitigate the symptoms of COVID nineteen. So when I hear the word breakthrough, I'm like. These, like like that that's a misnomer like this thing was never like a breakthrough um, is just when you're picking up dog poop with a with a poop bag and you go to pick up the poop and there's a hole in the bag and you get some on your finger this yeah. thing was never supposed to be this uh, was thing was a mesh net I, from I, day I, one i see what, i see what you're saying and i'm and i'm sympathetic to that argument I'd, I'd have to hear some counter arguments and think through it a bit but um i'm just a hater so, too. i'm well, so, no, 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 so angry no, no, no. so heads. so I'll, I'll i'll just i'll think through it now um, okay so, so first of all, it's it's it, that what you said is kind of true, but it's it's not the whole story. So, the clinical trials were done to detect the effect on symptomatic cases, and they were not done to detect the effect on PCR positivity, and they were not done to uh, detect the effect on uh, transmission. 
but they they weren't done in a way where everyone was saying we expect this to have no effect on transmission or PCR positivity. They were just done with with the study design not designed to, to do that. And so the position of 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 those researchers and the public health people is basically was basically at that point was well we know it reduces asymptomatic we know it reduces symptomatic cases we will have to do more research to try to figure out if it if it prevents transmission yeah um so it, it, it wasn't like they came out and they said we know this won't prevent transmission they they came out and they said uh, you know although they could have designed the studies to detect whether it reduced pcr positivity in the first place and they didn't um because the you know if they tested everyone they would have had that information but instead they left it up to the people to say i excuse me i think i have covid could you see if i have covid um and that's how people got tested in those trials um but then the other thing is I, you know i think you could still call it a breakthrough case if someone gets a symptomatic case despite that because it's it is designed to reduce the symptomatic caseload but if someone just tests pcr positive and the back and they're not designed to reduce pcr positivity then i could see where why you would say that that's not really a breakthrough case because it's it was never claimed to to reduce just testing positive. And then, of course, if it's transmission, you can say, well, you know, the jury's still out and has always been out on transmission. So why would you call it a breakthrough case? So I get that. Um, but anyway, the point is that they're canceling Broadway shows. Be, be, you know, you have Kamala Harris came out and said, we need to protect the uh, the vaccinated and the people who are, you know, can see through the smoke screen or like, wait a second, isn't that what the vaccine's supposed to do? Um, but here we find that even though they've banned the unvaccinated from society, somehow they're still canceling Broadway shows because apparently it's the vaccinated, it tra transmitting it to the vaccinated, which is, you know, which is what they found in numerous studies of outbreaks, like the Provincetown outbreak with the Delta variant that was the basis for CDC saying, wait a second, maybe vaccinated people should be wearing masks. Um, they found that, uh, you know, vaccinated people were more likely to transmit it than the non-vaccinated. Another paper that I have, they documented with real strong evidence, um, seven pairs of, it was three or seven. They, they had the, I think they had the strongest evidence for three, but the, but the general evidence indicated that there were many chains of transmission that were between fully vaccinated people and other fully vaccinated people. And they concluded that fully vaccinated people are capable of very efficiently transmitting the Delta variant to other fully vaccinated people. And it's like, what are you talking? Who's <laughs> protect the vaccinated from whom the vaccinated? How are you going to do that? Make um, everyone stay at home. <laughs> That's the only way you can do it. <laughs> I, I think if I heard you right, this is going back like three or four minutes. You alluded to the fact that it's possible that getting the um, injection would actually make it. So you, um, might have a less protection against the Delta variant is the idea behind that, that when you get the injection, it specifically tunes up your immune system to look for a, and therefore misses D is that the theory? Um, is that the, yeah. Um, and simpleton's so, so I'm, explanation? I'm, so I'm, I'm talking about spreading it if you get it and not, not getting sick. So it, it does seem like the, Efficacy is waning for protecting against being a symptomatic case in Delta, but it's not disappearing. Whereas the efficacy against transmitting it once you have it. So against if you get it, you being less likely to give it to the next person um, because you got the shot. 
that efficacy might be turning negative in Delta, meaning you might the people who get Delta might be more likely to spread Delta to other people if they got vaccinated. And it's it's not clear whether that's biological or if it's just behavioral. Because like I was saying before, if if you are less likely to have symptoms, you're more likely, and actually I didn't make this point, I skipped over it. If you're less likely to have symptoms, and we know the vaccine does that, if you're less likely to have symptoms, you're by default, you're more likely to spread it because when people get sick, they're more likely to take protective actions against other people. They might not always do it, but they're more likely to stay home from work. They're more likely to not go out with their friends. Um, even if they f- just feel like crap, they're more likely to not go out. But they might also just be thinking, well, I don't want to get other people sick. Like Some people do that. And so on average, when you reduce symptoms, you are reducing uh, protective behaviors that people engage in against transmitting to other people. Uh, but like I was saying before, when you do that in the context of everyone being constantly messaged that they're the clean ones who can't spread, then uh. I think you, you I think you dramatically amplify that behavioral effect. And so I don't mm. know if it's biological or behavioral. I I think I find it deeply implausible that, that the behavioral effect is not there. But one of the things I want to do when uh, in this project where I'm working on with the immunologist is is, is to try to just brainstorm if there are biological mechanisms that that could also explain that. And I, th- I think there might be, but it's that part is so complicated. The behavioral effect is just so obvious. Um, well, it's not obvious. Well, to, once, to, once to you to hear someone people, say it, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. It's, it, you got to hear it. But once you hear it, it's hard to unthink it. Um, whereas the biology is so complex. It, uh, it's so I. Uh, okay, I'm going to stay on subject here. Um, uh, so the, the 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 place where I agree with you about the spreading is is yes, if you're if you're if you and it trips me out because I have friends who are police officers and firefighters and where they have to uh, and they're not they don't have the shot or the vaccine and so they have to be tested every single day. Whereas the person who does have the vaccine only has to be tested once a month. I'm like they have that all backwards because theoretically you wouldn't see it in the person who has the vaccine because they wouldn't be showing symptoms. They're the ones who should be getting tested every day. But my pushback on that would be this I oh, do I, yeah i think that testing out is is total bs yes um but but i do think that people who are unhealthy are are, are i i believe in the logic that they are the super spreaders and why do i think that because if you're 100 pounds overweight and you get and you get a cold I mean, you are going to have it for you know two months and you're going to be coughing and sneezing and snotty and you're going to be blowing that shit all around to where someone like me who has a fucking crazy immune system who doesn't eat added sugar doesn't eat refined carbohydrates um my 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 nk cells and t cells can just flow through my bloodstream free freely and just whoop ass so I, and, uh, I go ahead. I I agree with you, but I think the relationship is not monotonic. In other words, it's what's not that a, mean? It, it means so a line that goes, complex. Goes, no, so um, I think it's a, I think it's a wavy line that goes up and down. The relationship between um, it, the relationship between having a worse case and transmitting rather than being a straight up line where asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, moderately and severely symptomatic just all goes up in transmitting. So I think there's, I think there's, um, but I think the principle that you said is right. I just think there's a couple other principles operating. So on the severe end, once you, once you are so severe, you're in the hospital, you're going to, you're not going to transmit it. And if it kills you, you're, you obviously not, are not going to transmit it, but you're also, you know, the, the person who, who spreads it most 
is the person that you said who has it for two months. They are, you know, they by necessity, they're around a lot of other people. They're very heavily symptomatic. So they're sneezing and coughing a lot. So I agree that person spreads it most. If they get more severe, they'll spread it less because they'll be, you know, locked away in a room where everyone's uh, put plexiglass around them or something like that. And, but then on the weaker end, I think there, there is a place where, um, there is a place where there are people who do stay home if they're mildly sick and it goes away and then they go back out. Whereas the person who doesn't realize they have it, where the transmission likelihood might not, it's not going to be anywhere near as high as someone who's coughing and sneezing. Um, but if they are, but if they don't, if it, if it seems so weak that it doesn't matter to them and they are, you know, closely mixing with other people, then you, they're at heightened risk compared to the person who knew they were sick and stayed home. But you know, you're right that then you get into even more spreading when you have the person who's just sick for two months, can't stay away from other people and is very heavily symptomatic. But I, what I'm saying is I don't think that line goes like this. I think it goes like this. Okay. You know That's I mean? the word monotonic. Yeah. Mo- monotonic relationship is just the slope of the lines always the same. Okay. And then, and then, um, and then, you know, if the, if the slope is zigzag, if it's zigzagging, it's, I'm saying it's zigzagging instead of a straight line. You're you're a smart man of science and precision, and I am a um, theater major. That's the difference. I just have to, <laughs> I can talk in these these extremes. I I I, I I've often posted on my Instagram. Um, uh, show me one healthy person who's died from um, COVID. I don't believe that a single healthy person has died. What do I mean by single healthy person? I mean anyone. Like when I see these numbers that 76 percent of people who've died from COVID are obese, I think that it's more like 98%. I think that people who have a ton of insulin and leptin flowing through their bloodstream, I don't think their immune system from the YouTube videos I've watched. Um, the immune system cannot work. And, um, from what I've seen about what the leptin receptor is responsible for in relationship to its, um, NK, its relationship with NK cells and T cells and what they tell NK cells and T cells to do when you become leptin scepter resistant, um, that 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 job becomes severely compromised and there's not a lot of talk about that and uh i I just anytime i say that no one healthy has died from covid there's this one picture of a kid from new york city that everyone keeps sending me it's like a 17 or 18 year old kid and he's and and i'm willing to there's not enough information on him for me to like know for sure but i can't find anything that makes me right so i'll give you that one but um, well, I mean, that's a totally asinine standard to have this stuff anyway. I mean, when I was living, my in my, Brooke, my standard is asinine. The person that said there was one kid who was healthy in New York. Oh, oh, right. And died. Right. right, right I right. mean, when I was living in Brooklyn, there were three children who died in car accidents in my neighborhood. Um, One who was run over by a bus in the crosswalk. And one who was hit by a drunk driver at the end of a dead end who was playing basketball in a neighborhood where they didn't have any parks. <laughs> and um, wow, and, that's an interesting story. And no told. one, no one locked down the streets over it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. of course, a child dying is terrible, but you right. are you are a fool if you think that children haven't been dying from things that are that you totally accept for granted 
way before COVID for your whole life. <laughs> right. I mean, right. so it's just, it's just, a, it's just a ridiculous, uh, stand, like when Cuomo got up and said, well, I asked for it by saying yeah. there, what there, you can't yeah. find one. So I mean, I don't, I, w- I wouldn't make the statement that you, that you made because I don't, I mean, in principle, you could probably find something wrong with the health of whoever died of it. Um, you know, but if you just look at the number and of course you can also criticize the numbers, there's a lot of problems with the numbers, but if you look, if you take the numbers at face value, it looks like people who are, who are younger, the BMI is the overwhelming driver. Whereas one people who get older and people who have a lot of other problems, then BMI becomes less and less important. So, you know, an 85 year old does not need to be overweight to die of COVID uh, like a 35 year old does where you know the 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 in the under 40 crowd it's you know the BMI is a huge driver and it just becomes less important when someone has severe asthma or is a kidney transplant person or is 85 years old or other things that also drive the risk um and that it's ju- it's just because being old is a risk factor being male is a risk factor being obese is a risk factor having severe untreated lung problems is a risk factor. Having immunosuppression problems is a risk factor. And the more risk factors you pile on, the less necessary it becomes to have any given one of them. Um, But when you're talking about relatively decently healthy 30-year-olds, they're over what the BMI is just being obese is just overwhelmingly the most common one of those risk factors they're likely to have. They're not going to, you can't have a 35-year-old who's 85 so that's off the table. Um, and the and other- you can't drink soda pop for 50 years if you're 30 years old, meaning that an 85-year-old is 50 Yeah, they have more cumulative com- damage. That's if, yeah, age is just a correlate. It, 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 they're 50. There's obviously the obvious factor, which I think you're saying. If my son falls down a flight of stairs, it's a it's a viral TikTok video that's funny. If, if, uh, if Chris Master John falls down the stairs, it's a life-altering injury. If my mom falls down the stairs, she's dead. This has nothing to do with what their vitamins are, what they eat. This is just age. Like there's no one who can fight back against those, those, that, but if you're 85 years old, you you can fight back against that because your, your bone density is dependent on your nutrition, but okay. Okay. You win. Um, I still like my story. Yeah, no, I get your, I get your point and I agree with it that it's, it's, you, it's a, it's a cop out to just say it's age. It's just that it's a cop out. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying the passage of time is responsible for anything. Uh, the, Actually, the, the, it's what happened the, during that time, but when the studies first came out in China, very, very early studies, the people who were dying, if I remember correctly, the vast, vast majority were men who were 65 and older who had been smoking for 30 years or more. The second and distant second were the people who lived with them, their wives. I remember seeing that study and I'm like, yeah, no fuck. And then they, and then of course, all the papers like the New York Times are like, hey, this, this affects old people. I'm like, can't say this affects old people that's just a correlate that's a correlate yeah the mortality rate in italy was real high too and it was they were very populated by smokers and the mortality wave in the first wave of new york city was real high when we had executive orders sending infected people into the nursing homes oh yeah Um, 40 percent of the people died in care facilities and and then i looked up on google and the average age of someone in a care facility pre-covid was 13.4 months or seven months i'm like how the like 
Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of things there, right? To like, in a sense, being in a long term care facility is sort of representative of your family abandoning you. Um, I mean, and if like, you're 50 years old and you're in a care facility, something, but you've either been in a motorcycle accident or you your Twinkie habit started. You were you were a Mountain Dew baby. I mean, yeah. I mean, my my I think I, there's a lot of things going on in the background there. Like people have very small families now, but like my grandparents had eight kids and uh and have you know 45 grandchildren and now my grandmother has numerous great grandchildren but um so when my grandparents like couldn't really take care of their house anymore uh my family my family had bought back in the 80s my family bought uh 60 acres of land and um and so they, you know, were able to just sort of like build, t- take a building that they had built off their house and make it an apartment for them. And so, and our family is closely networked enough that people can visit my grandparents a lot. And so, um, I can definitely see that when my grandfather died at 94, I think he was a few years ago, I can see how my grandmother's mental quality, you know, really started she had signs of dementia going back earlier, but it really started declining a lot when my grandfather died. But I think it accelerated again a lot during COVID because our family was, you know, a lot like probably the people visiting her dropped by half. Um, but, you know, if she was in a long term care facility, I feel like she would have died a long time ago because it's mainly the social connections that are keeping her alive. And I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm, I know that there's necessity and all kinds of things that I'm not trying to bash people that send their, you know, we, we were equipped to not send my grandparents into a long-term care facility in ways that other people might not be. But it's still a fact that um, it's still a fact that being abandoned to it, it's, it is, it's kind of a form of abandonment. And I think it plays a role in that decreased life expectancy. I'll say but, it, but man, I'll with the COVID, it. with it's, the COVID fucked lockdowns, it's fucked up. Yeah. It's fucked up leaving old people alone. It's but what's fucked real up. Fuck, but what's real leaving fucked up? Alone. What's real fucked up is was there was there no um, was there no specialist in end of life care who was consulted about what it would be like to spend the last year of your life alone with no one touching you or kissing you for it? <laughs> I. I I, I, was anyone consulted about that? I mean, that's just seems grotesque inhuman. <laughs> um, on a personal note, you said that you, you'd put on some weight. Weren't you scared? Like didn't COVID make you just want to like start fasting? Like, I mean, y- y- you know, what's going on here. Weren't you scared? How did you let yourself put on weight? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not judging you for it. I'm curious. Well, like, actually like, I'm a, I'm a COVID OG. So I, I had COVID first day of symptoms, February 1st, 2020. And, uh, and so by the time I had any ability to think about COVID, I had already had it. Um, but it was, it was complicated. I mean, life was kind of totally turned upside down for me and I was under, and there were other things going on in my life that kind of collided with it. Um, and my perspective was, I was just under so much stress that I, was deliberately allowing myself to gain some weight in uh in, in as an as an effort to be more protective of my my psychological stress and i think that was rational but i think i was i was too overwhelmed to um properly keep all those things in check 
Uh, like I think I, I just, I was so focused on just how to survive. And, uh, you know, I mentioned I, I'm not independently wealthy, so I didn't really have the emergency fund that I should have had going into it. Um, nor did I anticipate that dramatic and rapid of a change of life. Um, so I just, I wasn't prepared for it. And I, and I don't think that I, I think some of the things, the ways I coped in it with it were necessary and, and others were, uh, maladaptive and it, and it took me some time to figure out how to recover from it. How, um, you're, you're a hustler. Like, I mean that in the positive sense, not like hustler, like you're tricking people. You're a hustler in terms of like, you're not easy to get a hold of. You're busy as shit from your Instagram. uh, I can tell. And yet, and yet you're not beholden to it at all. Um, what, what, what part is, is that an accurate? I mean, like, like, like you have a lot of irons in the fire. I'm busy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, on my grind. Is, yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. That's even better. You're on, you're on, you're, you're on your grind. You're grinding. It's the same with me. Like I got a podcast. I'm raising my kids. I'm doing programming. I'm like, you know, like, I'm, I'm I, like, um, have you always been like that? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't always. I mean, you, said you had a newspaper as a little kid. I guess I've. I guess that part of me's always been there, but I haven't always been. I haven't always had my purpose congealed in a narrow way. So I think what I've been hustling towards has been, you know, a little bit all over the place at times. But you know, I. I mean, I am the guy who went to college when I was sixteen and who who utterly hates school and yet started college in 1998 and graduated with my PhD in 2012. Uh, and so spent a lot of time <laughs> that I didn't need to in school and then, and then went on and became a professor. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I guess you could pick any period there and you could say, well, maybe I wasn't putting my effort into the most productive area, but I was I was certainly working pretty hard. Do you ever get concerned that like you were on this mission? Um, people, some some people who are close to me are critical of this. Like I was on this mission, you know, really pumping the the my 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 narrative was no sugar, no refined carbohydrates, really. And then now I've like like I'm driving down the street and like I'm trying to hit other people on the road now. Like I'm trying to hit the fascist. I'm trying to hit the BLM guys. I'm trying to hit like like anyone who. Do you ever feel like maybe like you would be more potent if you would. And I see this it happening to you. I see it happening to Paul Saladino. I see it happening to, you know, I could tons of people now where like, sh- maybe like you should have just stayed on like vitamins one Oh one. And like, you really now, instead of like maybe broadening your scope of things that are, are you talking about COVID stuff or? Yeah. Like I see with the Kyrie rally and I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> shit, don't get me. I love that shit that you're doing. But like, part of me is, is like, maybe there's people who like disagree with him who then aren't going to hear his message. And they're going to, uh, that, that's so important about what his real mission is, 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 is nutrition. Okay. So first of all, I think it's completely and totally naive to believe that this is all about the vaccine and that if everyone complies, it's going to go away and we're going to go back to normal and get vitamins and minerals. <laughs> the normal that, talk is crazy. Any, anyone who thinks that is totally sleepwalking and has not been paying attention because, um, you know, if you like, if you go back, rewind to 2008, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Great year. That, that is when that is when there was mass acceleration of the militarization of federal bureaucracies. That is when the Rossum Food Co-op got raided with guns pointed out, guns drawn. Go, go to Google Images and search Rossum Raid Guns, and you'll see they were raided with guns drawn over raw milk. And that, and then fast forward one year where, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that people say now is, oh, it's a conspiracy theory that they want to microchip us. In 2009, during, uh, I think it was swine flu, sometimes I mess up swine and bird flu. Anyway, back in, in 2009, um, that's when Massachusetts, my home state, passed forced quarantining laws. That's when Barachip was making implantable microchips that would detect whether you had swine flu and whether you got vaccinated for it. No one wanted them, but there were people on, I think it was Good Morning America, who got their GPS tracking chip implanted and were saying how great it was. And they were making one for medical and dental records. And the USDA was making the National Animal Identification System to track infectious disease spread by mandating that all farmers, no matter how small, were responsible for RFID tagging every single animal on their farm. And they were saying it was voluntary. But then in Texas, they started rolling it out, fining farmers $1,000 a day if they didn't, at their own expense, RFID tag all their chickens. Like so, like if you had seven chickens and you sold uh, uh, as a side hustle, sold a couple dozen eggs a week, you were now responsible for buying all this radio frequency ID tagging for your chickens, and they'd fine you out of business. Wow! Was so, this the test for humans? Was that the test for humans? Is that what you're implying? No, that's first so, do it on animals, and then oh, if it works, do it I on mean, humans. I, well, I'm just telling you the facts, right? Okay. Okay. Like, imputing motivations is something else. But at the exact same time that the USDA was rolling out the NAIS, the National Animal Identification System, that is when Verichip was making implantable microchips for humans. Um, and that's also when uh, schools, uh, some some schools started stepping up. You know, school IDs is 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 not a is something that goes way back. But there were some schools around that time period also that started with making kids wear RFID tags around their neck. So they could cut down on truancy, and and their argument was like if they were not where they weren't supposed to be, the safety officer could scan their thing hanging from their neck and say, "Oh, you're supposed to be in that class." And it became very it, if you were not paying attention at all, if you didn't at that point um, say, you know, clearly they are trying to get the next generation ready for everyone to have implanted microchips that will track everything they do. I mean, it was just so obvious. They were making and selling the technology. They were advertising it. They were trying to mandate it for animals. They were trying to mandate it for school kids. And they were doing it where, you know, in all the little areas where they thought people would have the least blowback. But the farmers had insane blowback because the small farmers would all gone out of business over this stuff because it was expensive technology. And so if you have five chickens, it's just, it's just, it's nuts. And of course, farmers are conservative, generally speaking. Um, and so, and then it also turned out that swine flu wasn't killing anyone. So it, it, you know, it just wasn't a very good model to get mass microchipping. And, and so I look at the stuff that they're doing now and like, this is relatively tame compared to what they were trying to do back then. But anyway, they were, and that's also when I was in grad school, it's also when the, it used to be, if you were doing so my grad school lab book was uh, did vitamin E was a major part of our research, and so it 
formerly, if you wanted to do a vitamin E study, you just had to fill out the IRB form, which is the human ethics approval. But in 2008, the FDA made a ruling saying that if you wanted to study a vitamin or mineral, you had to fill out and you, uh, you had to fill out an investigation of a new drug form. And so I was like, interesting. This is obviously the beginning precedent to them treating vitamin and mineral supplements the same way that they treat drugs. And the obvious product of doing that is that, and this is true of you know many places in Europe, for example, supplements are very expensive, and you don't they don't have anywhere near the selection that we have in the United States. Even in Canada, there's you know supplements that I use that are like, oh, we're not allowed to buy that in Canada. Um, and so the end result of that is that vitamins and 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 minerals. And, and herbs will be regulated like drugs. They will be extremely expensive. They will be, you know, the profits will go to the big pharma that will, you know, big pharma will buy out the vitamin and mineral manufacturers and it will just become an arm of, of big pharma. And, um, and, and we won't have the freedom to choose on those things. And so that's not that long ago. And if, if you think when this is over, if they, if they were able to do this with vaccine passports, if you don't think that they're then going to come for the stuff they were coming for 10 years ago and go after your raw milk and your raw honey and your, I mean, it got so bad during the, during the late two thousands that this guy, David Gumpert wrote a book about it called life, liberty, and the pursuit of food rights. And there were towns, there were towns, municipalities that were declaring themselves independent of the federal regulatory bodies it, there, it was it was like a, a revolution of food freedom was brewing. You know, it's it's like, but and then they rolled it back, right? And so it's like back in seven in the in the 1770s when people were like, we might, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start making an independent Congress. And if Britain said, all right, whatever, we'll we'll get rid of the taxes, and then it went away for you know, it's like that. They they realized that there was a food freedom revolution brewing. And they were like, okay, let's chill out. And then they went away for five or 10 years and now they're back. Yeah. And you are utterly deluded if you think that let's just comply with the vaccine passport. This will all go away. You're that's, I have no words for how stupid that is. That is the direct lead into, oh, it worked over the injectable? Well, we can certainly go after the raw milk again. No one's going to bat an eye if we go start you know, raiding all these farmers with guns drawn and then taking their milk and pour it out in the trash. <laughs> hey, um, what, what trips me out also is whenever people say that, and I have friends in Canada who, who believe this, oh, let's just get the injection so everything can go back to normal. And my question for them is, is uh, how does it go back to normal when everyone has the injection? Now we have a whole society with people who have the injection. And who the fuck is the control group if everyone has the injection? That scares the shit out of me too. There's there's nothing normal about having to show your papers in order to get indoors. <laughs> some, some, normal about it. Someone said uh, there's a question here for you. Ask ask them about the FDA banning the sale of NAC. I don't even know what that is. So you know I don't. That is? Yeah, NAC is N-acetylcysteine. I looked into it a little bit, and I and I I hesitate to be to act as the expert on it because I don't I didn't look into it too deeply. But it looked to me like they're not banning it per se, but they're just going to. And actually, this relates to what I was saying before. I think they're going to put the manufacturers through a whole bunch of paperwork hassle in order to keep selling it. 
and I and I think that that hasn't happened yet. And so I Amazon stopped selling it. And so I think I think it's being misinterpreted to say they're banning it. But I think what they're doing is saying this has to be treated more like a drug. And so you actually need to fill out all this extra paperwork. I don't think they're going to make it prescription, but I think they're just going to make it a real pain in the ass to uh, sell it. And I and I those are, these are all obviously the precedents being laid down slowly and steadily to ultimately treat all supplements as drugs. Um, so someone here has another question. Finishing up my PhD this semester, wondering how the transition from academia to entrepreneurship was for Chris. Before you answer that, I want to. Uh, I, I wanna... Oh, by the way, I have a hard stop in ten minutes. Okay, thank you. Um, there was a, there was a time in my life many many years ago where I would um, I was on this marijuana message board and I would go around and film um, people's uh, indoor grow operations. I don't know what year this was. Let's say two thousand or. 2005 or whatever 2010 i don't know and I, then i would come back home and i would edit all the grow rooms for the people's uh grow rooms and i would put them together and then i would sell the dvds like on ebay or on craigslist or wherever and i would say how learn how to grow and study these five grow rooms and basically and then someone would send me 30 bucks and i would just burn it on my dvd burner and sell it and i fancied myself as sort of an expert in just grow room stuff even though i didn't even smoke weed at the time i was just fascinated <laughs> by indoor growing I still don't smoke weed. And neither. <laughs> my 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 thought my thought is is this when it comes to um uh Chris uh, Master John, he is just a smarter version of that. He basically what, what when you ask about his transition from academia to entrepreneurship, I'd like to emphasize that this dude has an extreme, extreme fucking interest um and 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 in, in his field. And he's basically just he's um and, and that's where the entrepreneurship comes from. I think it's it's out of necessity, not out of um, desire. He 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 wants to he wants to know stuff that's not out there, and he wants to share it. The artist in him wants to share it. So so go on. Feel free to answer that question. Finishing up my PhD this semester, wondering how the transition from academia to entrepreneurship was for Chris. So I I think the transition straight out of a, straight from a PhD would be difficult, especially the way I did it. Um, but what, when I was, I, so I was blogging from way back and I was keeping an email newsletter from way back. And so I basically had 10 years under my belt building an email list with never intending to monetize it, but just because, uh, you know, that's what I was doing. And so I had about 10,000 people on my email list by the time that I decided I was going to quit my job and that, and I was also, you know, relatively decently known in the paleo sphere and stuff like that. Um, but I, I quit my job with no business plan. And I figured that I might have to cash in my retirement account to pay my rent. And I wound up selling consulting packages to people who are on my email list. But I don't, I don't think that I would have been able to do that very easily if I didn't have 10 years of accidental accumulation of an audience. Um, and so I think it, it might, you know, be, it might be, you, you could take a lot of different approaches. You might want to uh, have a day job and, build a, a business slowly or you might want to find a partner to do something that you know where you can pull in some funding and make something or or whatever i think those are probably your two options but i think it would be kind of hard to if you don't have an audience already it, it takes some time to build one so do you have a girlfriend i don't now not oh, the moment that's another um uh thing between you and paul paul saladino 
eczema and no girlfriend. You get, you, dude, like, <laughs> well, I was, I was in a long time. relationship. You, oh, so, and you just got out recently? Fairly recently, a few months ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I hope, I hope that was a smooth transition for you. It was a transition, but, <laughs> um, uh, do any of the CrossFit gyms in New York city allow, um, do, do you know unvaccinated people in there? I don't, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but there's a Instagram page pro freedom eats. That's mainly based on restaurants, but they have a gyms highlight that has some of the gyms that are not complying with the mandate, but I don't know if it includes CrossFits or not. Um, I know you have to go in, in a couple minutes. What's the, did you, on your Instagram, there's a ton of posts, um, about magnesium, a ton. You, you, there's so much information. Can you in a nutshell, tell me why, why you're so focused on magnesium or did I just, is that I'm I'm not, it's just a part of a, a longer series that is, is just taking, uh, cutting up, uh, chapters from the middle of my upcoming book. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, magnesium doesn't really get any more attention than the others do. It's just that it's currently in the magnesium section. (laughs) So it's, it's just coming out in order. Um, but I mean, magnesium's super important, but it's, it's not any more or less important than any of the other vitamins and minerals, you know, whatever you're most deficient in is, is what you, um, it's what you, uh, need the most, you know? Okay. And I, I thought that might've been it just, it's just the chapter that I happened to open it. And finally, last, last thing, is there any advice you would give to people? Um, when I, when I got COVID, I, um, the two, the three things, two things I basically started doing is I started taking, um, uh, 2000 milligrams of vitamin C every couple hours with a small glass of water, taking like 10 to 20,000 a day. And I was taking, um, five to 10, five to 10,000, whatever the, the metric is of vitamin D. And, and it, it basically did nothing to me. Um, and I took no precautions. Me and my family still all slept in the same bed and all that shit. Is there any advice you would give to people? Was that smart that I took the vitamin C and vitamin D? Yeah, that's smart. I actually have a, I actually have a protocol uh, that you can get at chrismasterjohnphd.com slash COVID guide. The gist of it is... Uh, I just signed you- up for that newsletter, by the way. Thank you. Cool. The gist of it is uh, keep your vitamin D 50 to 60 nanograms per milliliter going into it. Um, there's a, probably if you get it uh, a, hot, a sort of loading dose of 100,000 IU one or two days and then 10,000 IU for the rest of it would be good. I like to balance that with the other fat soluble vitamins. So vitamin A at a, a half to one ratio, couple hundred micrograms of vitamin K2 and 20 IU of vitamin E. Um, and then uh, I do think zinc acetate lozenges are, are very good for having antiviral effects in the mouth and throat. I like life extension zinc acetate, enhanced zinc acetate lozenges. Uh, there's no clinical trials on them, but personal experience and some case reports suggest they're really good. There's a trial from Bangladesh with a 1% povidone iodine rinse, which is an antiseptic used in the, in, uh, by medical and dental people. Um, four times a day in the nose, mouth, throat, and a couple drops in the eyes, 88% reduced the risk of death. Wow. Uh, look, looks like a gram a day of, uh, we're 600 milligrams of EPA and DHA, the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, look, uh, quite good. Nine or 10 milligrams of melatonin a night, uh, before bed. And, um, some other things there, there's a handful of other things, but I think the, the biggest one would be 3.2 grams of L arginine. Uh, in two divided doses, so 1.6 grams a day 
if and when you suffer from respiratory distress appears to be exceedingly dramatically effective at hastening the improvement in respiratory distress. God, I want to say something totally inappropriate about arginine. <laughs> As it, do, you know, do you know what it is? No. Anytime I have, have to do with erections or herpes. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Anytime, <laughs> anytime I've taken arginine, it's like crazy. It, oh, it, so people get my penis yeah. becomes like hard, like like a like a, a the erection a, thing, a, a railroad oh. stake. Yeah, like like holy shit. Yeah, arginine's crazy. That's interesting. I mean, it it suggests that your nitric oxide production is limited by your arginine intake. Oh well, I just I don't know if I like the way you worded that, but I'm just gonna say it doubles down on the uh, density of my penis. How's that? Interesting. Um, I do. I uh, I don't like. I don't like you just describing anything about me with the word "limited" in it. <laughs> I do. I do wonder whether there is um, whether there is a uh, a trade off between uh, erection and orgasm with higher nitric oxide levels. You mean in, ter in terms of the quality or? You mean in, in, in the quality? Uh, of it, uh, I I don't know. I well, I, I wonder. Or I, like I the wonder. sperm count, or what do you mean by orgasm? Um, I wonder if it would take longer, but possibly be less intense. Even though yeah, the it, it, yeah, and it also harder. take yeah, it also takes longer. It's like it's performance enhancing drug for the penis. I feel like yeah, but you're right. I think. Yeah, I I, th I I never thought of it like that because it's like it's like splicing hairs about the quality of the orgasm. I mean, sort of, I mean, like it's like from being a 10 to a, like a 15 or a 15 down to a 10. <laughs> well, it, it also, but, but there, that could is a, interesting. there could be a and, dose response too, where like too much would make that trade off. Not so great. And you know, the right dose would make it perfect or something like that. You know? Right. Right. Well, damn. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a fun supplement. I highly, I highly recommend if, to dabble in it now, now and again. Chris, thank you uh, so much. Um, I, I have two pages thank of you. notes, and I don't even think we got to um, ten percent of it of the questions I really wanted to ask you about health and shit. Uh, but thank Maybe you so we'll much. Do a part two someday. I would love that, and thank yeah. you for fighting the fight. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for having integrity. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really something else. Awesome.